Welcome to Business Spotlight on Money Radio WPSE. Business Spotlight is heard weekly at this time on 1450 AM and 107.1 FM. Today, Dr. Ralph Ford, Chancellor at Penn State Barron, sits down with Kevin Moore, Director of Development and Alumni Relations at Penn State Barron. Welcome to Barron Talks on WPSE AM 1450 Money Radio, where we have discussions with interesting people in the Barron community. I'm Chancellor Ralph Ford. Today, my guest is somebody I know really well. That's Kevin Moore. He is the Director of Alumni Relations and Development here at Barron. Kevin, welcome here. Thank you very much, Ralph. So, you know, Kevin, I always like to, you know, Start out a little bit. Tell us how you got here. I mean, you, you were a Barron student, so you've been a member of the Barron family for a long time. That's absolutely true. I actually sat in this room as a student and a line ambassador back in the early 80s and left. When I graduated Barron, I went to D.C. and worked for Marriott for a few years and got the bug for uh, customer service and helping people and connecting dots and all that kind of stuff, which uh, led to grad school at Penn State Harrisburg and then back to Barron. And I came back here in career development and did... I worked with you as an engineering faculty for many mm-hmm. years in uh, electrical engineering and placing our students at companies all around the country and getting them prepared with resume writing and proper dress and interviewing skills and things like that, which led to the uh, first alumni job. Your predecessor, Dr. Lilly, mm-hmm. created the uh, Office of Alumni Relations, and I was fortunate enough to get that post and did that for four years. And in the university scheme, alumni relations and development are in the same academic uh, or or organizational unit and uh, as such I started getting more interest in development Mm -hmm. and became more and more fascinated with really having an impact in the uh, in the college here. Well you definitely have. Let's step back though one one bit. You studied communications while you were here. Correct. uh, Did you have any idea when you were an undergrad? Can you think back or you know, what, what was it you thought you would do after you graduated? Yeah, I actually had a very clear path at that time. Uh, when I got into communications, I wanted to get into broadcasting. I had the opportunity to interview Peter Jennings, actually, when he came to really? theory. Yeah, I got to sit and talk <laughs> with him, and uh, I, I got the bug and thought it would be a lot of fun to get on camera and do uh, that. And then I did some research and found out at that time, this is the early 80s, I think salaries were $17,000 a year, $18,000 a year yeah. to get started. <laughs> And you might get up to 20 after three or four years in the field. So it quickly became a non-starter for me. It just was not financially viable to do that you, and highly you, competitive. You pay your dues in that. You absolutely arena. do and work your way through the markets. And if you're fortunate, by the time you're 50, you're actually making some money in front of the camera. It's not as, uh, you know, it's not as uh, successful financially as people might like to think it is. Unless you're, you know, Bryant Gumbel or somebody like that and you're making millions of dollars a year. So Peter Jennings, I... You know, he, he was a real gentleman. I, he I really was. appreciated him. What was it like to interview him? Uh, he was a heavy smoker. So what I, one of the things I remember was just the air of cigarette smoke around mm-hmm. him. And unfortunately, he passed away from lung cancer due exactly yeah. that. Uh, but he was. He was very gracious. I was a very green 19-year-old kid, you know, and he was very, very gracious in sharing his experiences and how he got up to where he, he achieved. Well, that's, I'm sure that was quite the formative experience. But that's one of the things I like about... Barron and about mm-hmm. the Erie community as our students can get involved with things. That's 
really part of the whole idea of the philosophy of the open laboratory is let's get our students out there working in the things that they're good at. Mm -hmm. And Barron provides tremendous amounts of opportunities and opportunities uh, to, to meet with people like that, luminaries in the field of science and mathematics and engineering. It's just, it's an amazing place to be working as well because we can see these people and see fun people like the Mythbusters a few years ago. Oh, that was a great campus. one. Yeah, that yeah. was a whole lot of fun. I forgot yep. about that really one. Really fun people that come to campus. Yeah, and you get to see the, the side of them that you don't see on TV, and they're mm -hmm. often really just phenomenally uh, talented people. Mm -hmm. They didn't get there often by, by not working hard. Well, let's switch a little bit to this idea. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you're Director of Development and Alumni Relations. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people don't know what development means. <laughs> I like that, you know, there's often this stereotype that, you know, you're like out golfing and smoking cigars and drinking whiskey with donors all the that's time. That's exactly right. That's, that's, isn't that exactly what you do? That's exactly what and I do. And we pay you to do that, right? <laughs> yes. Come on, get in line with the resume. We'll hire you right away. No, no. Tell us what is it you do and, you know, walk us through what development is because it's, you know, that can mean a lot of things, the word development. Mm -hmm. What's that mean in a university context? Well, it's funny you use that analogy of smoking cigars and golfing with people. Um, I don't smoke cigars, and I very rarely golf. Uh, there's not time to do it uh, if you're doing your job properly. That's not the kind of stuff we actually do. Um, there's a funny poster in development that shows uh, what our friends think we do, and it's a picture of sitting on a, uh, you know, a nice Learjet with Arab sheiks traveling the world, and then what we actually do, of course, is much, much mm -hmm. different than that. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, the development world is really revolves around connecting donors to a project or to a program that they're passionate about. Um, it is fundraising at the end of the day, for sure, but it really is much more sophisticated fundraising than people tend to think it is. It's not chasing ambulances and chasing little old ladies mm -hmm. and holding bake sales to raise money for the next cause. The university works on a much different model of endowment building, so we really look out to the future very, very far. At the core of what I do, I always tell people I'm a relationship manager. I build relationships with people, and it's not only on the fundraising side, and my role at the university is connecting our alums back to the university for hiring our students or providing internship opportunities. It's connecting the dots for other alumni to research with each other and connect those uh, dots so they can benefit one another in their relationship. So at the end of the day, it's really relationship building with the end goal, of course, if you know, if someone is altruistic, if someone is capable, mm -hmm. then perhaps they're going to make a gift to the university to help support us. Well, you make a really good point. I mean, the stereotypes are fun to talk about, mm -hmm. but, and, and, and I've heard that as well, but what you really come to realize is, first of all, universities, uh, look, I'm speaking to the choir here, but the reality is we have a big impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. We have a big impact on the communities we serve. And people fear, feel very passionate about our mission, as mm -hmm. they do about many other organizations. And people like to give back, and mm -hmm. that's an important thing to understand. I think once you understand that they, they do this, and they don't do it without, you know, without some level, of, often a great level of accountability. Mm -hmm. So when someone makes a gift to the university, uh, I, I, we always have to make this point clear. It is the donor intent. I think that's, that's right. interesting to talk about. You know, tell us a little bit about what we mean when we say donor intent. Yeah, the, the, the real magic in my job is finding something that the university has a need in or a, a passion for or a purpose for and connecting that to that donor's passion. At the end of the day, we work on a donor's timetable. We work on a donor's uh, ability to fund something. So it's, it's connecting those two dots that's where the magic happens. If you have a donor who says, I've always thought about starting a scholarship, 
It's being able to follow what that passion is. And that scholarship could have been for a science student or it could have been for a wrestler or a certain socioeconomic background. We try and take whatever that donor's passion is and marry that to a need in the university. Yeah, in the... Uh... One of the most popular things is scholarships, to be sure. Mm -hmm. People can see the direct impact of a scholarship. That's right. There is a direct uh, correlation. Many people have received a scholarship or been the beneficiary of someone else's philanthropy. So that's a, a very um, understandable model compared to things like an early career professorship, which we could certainly talk about. But mm -hmm. that's a little more sophisticated and a little less... Uh, um, aware for the general public. People are not quite as informed about those types of things. Scholarships, on the other hand, you hear about them. It's one of the measurements mm -hmm. that you know high school graduates talk about. If they're successful, they've been offered a lot of scholarship money to go to a certain institution. Um, so it makes them much more sellable, if that's the word, much, much more relatable for people uh, when they're thinking about philanthropy. Well, you know, in scholarships, if you think about it, one of the things that We've got such a variety of them, and people can tailor them. So if they want to reward high-performing students mm -hmm. and make it merit-based, they can do that. That's correct. If they want to help students with financial aid. So those are both legitimate ways of helping people. Uh, in this world. That's exactly right. And everybody has a different passion. Some people will say, I want to help fund a student to study abroad. It was a formative experience of mine, and I want to provide that opportunity for the right student. Some people may say, I don't ever want to, I've never been to Europe, and I don't want to fund that. What I want to fund is a student that's in chemistry because the world needs more chemists to figure out the problems of uh, biodegradable plastics or whatever the need is in the world. Yeah, I think we're truly blessed to be in a place in a university where we can match all of these things and put them mm -hmm. together. Uh, it's a great place to be. Let's talk a, a bit about the uh, the current campaign that we're in. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in, I'm so, sorry, a campaign for a greater Penn State, uh, and it's been going on for several years. And tell people, what is a campaign? I mean, what's the idea behind a capital campaign or a fundraising campaign or a drive? Why do we do those? We do those because it helps to quantify and give boundaries to certain purposes. So uh, this campaign did start four years ago. We've got two more years. It was recently extended by one more year. Uh, the university is working toward a $1.6 billion campaign, and we still have two year, a year and a half to go in the original time frame, and we were already at $1.3 billion. So realizing that we were going to reach that goal, we thought if we extended one more year, what can we what can we strive for to benefit our students? And now we are at a $2.1 billion goal by the end of uh, June 30, 2022. So we, we set these campaigns up to provide a defined time period to focus on a particular set of goals. Uh, it helps. It's like strategic planning. You, you set your mission for the next four, five, seven years, typically in campaigns, and you strive for those goals. You focus your team. You focus the uh, university staff and faculty on those types of goals, and you move forward to achieve them. And our volunteers are highly engaged, too. We have a whole volunteer committee wrapped around this. We do. We uh, have not only the Council of Fellows here at Barron is involved, and that is, that's about 100 people that uh, are active uh, business leaders in our community, 
that come to campus to understand what it is we're doing and help to be ambassadors in our community to share that. We also have a very uh, defined development committee and their sole purpose is to help raise money in the community. And they're out there uh, you know, helping us to gain access to people that may not be connected to us. They're having conversations about those goals with our communities, both uh, locally as well as around the country. Some of our members are in D.C. and Florida and New York City. Yeah, I have been amazed, you know, going through this process myself for the first time about how it really does work. It does focus people and it provides a lot of good for the university and for our community. So, Kevin, what I wanted to get a little further into is we talked about fundraising and campaigns and how that works. Let's talk about some of the specific gifts because we've had some nice, uh, really impactful gifts in this campaign. And one mm -hmm. that comes to mind is the Herzl Foundation was very generous in helping us to support our nursing program. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's this huge shortage of nurses and they're critically important in our lives, not to use a pun, critically important. <laughs> but uh, so tell, tell us, how, how did that work and what's the impact? Uh, the Herzl Foundation, the RNC Herzl Foundation, is based in Northeast. It was actually started by Mr. Herzl uh, in his estate many years ago now, and he uh, created the Electric Materials Company, the old Temco in Northeast. Always wanted to be a physician himself and never got there. Um, so he wanted to inspire medically related uh, research in our area and supplies and equipment for universities and, and businesses in the area. So they, they are very strong supporters of us and some of our uh, university friends in the community, uh, Gannon in particular, with a nursing program. So two, or th two and a half years ago now, we approached them with the concept of supporting our nursing program. It's been going gangbusters. We have great success with our nursing program. It's actually been resurrected. We had nursing here back in the 60s and 70s, and it uh, was uh, let go in the eight, early 80s and has come back now and mm -hmm. come back gangbusters. I did not know that. Yeah, we are doing really well in our program. We are getting ready to double enrollment from the first few years. Uh, we're pushing out, I think, about 65 or so nurses a year now. Uh, with the new program. And of course, with that comes the need for con current equipment and technologies and expanded spaces. And we approached the Herzl Foundation and they generously funded $900,000 towards that effort. So accompanying university funds with that $900,000, we're able to expand a, a beautiful state-of-the-art nursing facility here, simulation lab. So our nurses can train on mm -hmm. uh, sim uh, simulated uh, human beings. They're mannequins, essentially, that have all kinds of technology. They sweat, they breathe, they uh, push fluids out of all the places we all push fluids out of. So nurses it never can ceases learn. to amaze me how it's amazing. realistic it is, and it always throws you off when you first see that simulation start. And when you watch a simulation with the students, it is really no different than working on a human being. They quickly become involved with that mannequin because the instructor can also speak through that mannequin. So the mannequin is actually you know, talking, saying, my chest feels heavy, my arm is hurting, I'm burning up, and they can talk. So the nurses can practice real-world situations on a mannequin with no real consequence there. So when they get in the real world and there are consequences, they're well-trained. And the simulation works. I mean, uh, talking to the faculty... They see the students go from very nervous. They don't even record them in the beginning. And later they start to record, and then they show them the video of how they responded. Mm -hmm. And all of those capabilities are there. It's a great training tool. No, that is a, it's a tremendous story. Well, there's another uh, large initiative that we just announced this last September, which is a large partnership with a number of partners, the uh, Erie Community Foundation, Hammond Health Foundation, UPMC, Penn State's involved. Uh, and, of course, it's to bring McGee Women's Research Institute here to uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. And that's going to have a lot of impact. 
It's a very exciting project. Um, it was announced this past spring. It's going to be about a $26 million impact in our community, and it's largely focused on women's oncological health and reproductive health. So it's a very exciting project that will have not only uh, ramifications for women's health, but will also be a large economic development project in our community and have tentacles that will go out and grow businesses around the research that comes from this project. Yeah, it's really, you know, it, it, it it's great. I get to sit in the, you know, I'm, I'm highly involved in this. I want, uh, you know, everyone should understand that. And uh, we're kind of in a nice quiet phase right now, but we're building and we've just got this great partnership, I will tell you, uh, McGee Women's, UPMC. We're all moving very quickly behind the scenes to start to build up the laboratories mm -hmm. to find out the sort of research that should be done uh, here in Erie. But the important thing for people to realize is this whole thing, though, is largely funded by philanthropy. It's amazing to me, actually. There are no state and federal dollars in here. We didn't mm -hmm. go to the state and ask for anything. We as institutions are putting our money forward, and we're putting philanthropic dollars, and we are asking the community to give. Mm -hmm. So why don't you explain how that works, because that is not typical. That's not typical at all, especially uh, for all of us in Pennsylvania. They know the Pitt-Penn State rivalry, and anyone on the surface to look at partnering together on a big project like this, you would not uh, come to putting Pitt and Penn State in the same room. But uh, through great leadership, including your own, uh, we were able to work through those details. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with MWRI, or McGee Women's Research Institute, it is, I believe, the third best uh, research, third-ranked research institution in women's health in the world. And it's based in Pittsburgh. And they wanted to expand to the Erie community. And when they came here, they realized that Penn State's the great partner. So over that time, it took, I know, a yeah. year of negotiations with you. But uh, the fruition of that is now that we have this wonderful project that will bring two large academic yeah. research institutions and UPMC have it no, to bear. They're the first women's research institute in the one. world, and I think they're the highest ranked. So, P, you know, this is, in the end, it's going to improve the health of the people in our community. That's and right. that is not hyperbole. Just by him connecting with UPMC already, the doctors who've come here have improved outcomes. So it, it's mm -hmm. uh, very real. But what's... What I, what I do want to make a point about is we are fundraising. We're not bashful about that. And if there is anyone in the community who's interested in talking to us, uh, both us, Boo Haggerty at the Hammond Health Foundation, you, we're working as a team. We're out there promoting this. Uh, it's important for us to have that to make this thing a go. One of the most exciting parts of that um, fundraising is that the university had the wisdom to put a $5 million match on the table. So, so far we have about $2 million of that accounted for, and we have another $3 million if any donor, and really any increment, $25,000 or a $1 million, we can match that dollar to be put towards this project. So it's very exciting to have that kind of money on the table. And our part of this whole McGee Women's out of the $26 million, Penn State Barron and Penn State University are putting in $10 million of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. We've been able to really work with the university to bring this funding here. We do need to, uh, to get that match. But what I like to point to people, too, is a lot of them are saying, well, then you're going to come back after you get to that $5 million mark. No, this thing will be, this, this is an interesting model. We'll have an endowment that allows us to run this in the long term. It will impact our students. Make mm -hmm. no mistake, we'll have our students working on cutting edge research. They'll be working with world-class researchers. They'll be working with their faculty. We will build better laboratories for our students. This couldn't be a better uh, true, realistic story mm -hmm. about how this will, will grow, you know, the entire community. So I realize I'm going off and, and, and you know, selling there, but it, it is an important project. 
Uh, and for us to be able to raise those funds is, is really important for the university. Mm -hmm. Did you, you want to add? Go ahead. Well, you yeah. mentioned endowments there, and I, early on in the conversation we talked about endowments, and that's a great illustration of an endowment. And that's where the fundraising is far more sophisticated at the university level than it would be at your local church or Little League. Mm -hmm. We're based on that endowment model because sustainability is so critical to the educational model, to the community impact model. And as a land-grant institution, that's where our rubber hits the road. We are beholden to the, the state because we receive a significant amount of tax dollars from the uh, state. And we, our job is to help the economic development and help the citizens of Pennsylvania. So it's projects like this that we raise these endowments and that will, we work on a four and a half percent model. So on that $10 million, there's $450,000 a year that is generated to fund the director of that project and the admin and the support that they need. You can't get much, you know, you do, it's a, it's a tremendous philanthropic return. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, you know, you and I are always out there making that case. Well, let's switch a little bit. We talked about scholarships earlier. I want to come back around because we have uh, we had created a really special scholarship program uh, called PASS, which is the Pathway to Student Summer Success Program, mm -hmm. which is actually a, even more than a scholarship program. Can you just tell us what is this PASS program and how does it work? And then I want to take it to the next step about what we did with the area insurance, but just tell us about PASS. PASS was unique in so many different ways. The, uh, the, the first one was the university actually had an incentive program at the time for two to one dollars. So for every dollar someone put in, uh, minimum buy-in was $30,000. The university would put two dollars in. So the university would match $60,000 to that. So that was one of the first things. But the other unique thing about it was it really was focused on uh, socially, socioeconomically disadvantaged students, uh, minority students, providing an opportunity where they may not have had an opportunity to go to higher education institution, especially one like Penn State. During that process, they have to get in under their own academic steam. This isn't a hand up academically. They have to be able to be admitted to Penn State under their own academic abilities. And once they are, they fall into a program where they start earlier in the summer to become oriented. They take a class. Mm -hmm. They get mentoring. They get uh, some funding. Then when the school year starts, they get scholarship, and they also get a job placement. And during this process, we worked with Erie Insurance, and they generously funded $1.5 million, which, again, was matched two to one. So it became a $4 million project. Mm -hmm for these past students. And again, that's that endowment model. Those funds are used to fund not only the scholarship, but uh, support for those students and uh, their jobs on campus or off campus. And Erie Insurance is helping us to provide many of those jobs in more uh, in, in the student's field or area of expertise, like marketing or web development yep. or accounting. They're out there helping nonprofits. They're helping startups, uh, where otherwise those companies may not be able to afford that help. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it because it does take a student from before they get here, helps them acclimate to the university, provides financial support, and then puts them into a career experience. If you get to that point and you're in the second or third year, the student should be successful. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. It helps them go. And Erie Insurance had the, the vision, and Tim DeCastro and the leadership at Erie Insurance had the vision to say, we want to certainly benefit from these kinds of things, providing a good, capable workforce. But we also are very focused on our community, <clears throat> on our community, and they want to be able to help those nonprofits and help the other businesses in the community. So, your insurance was extremely generous, not only to us but to our entire community. We owe them some debt. Absolutely, they're doing so much in the community. Mm -hmm. We were talking about matching programs and funding. So, tell us a little bit about how that match process works. 
Well, in that Accelerate example we talked about with Erie Insurance, that was an incentive program that was last two years ago almost now uh, that the university rolled out. And occasionally we'll put out incentive programs to motivate donors who might be thinking about doing something and it provides that extra boost. And it also shows the university's commitment to those particular projects. In the case of the Pass Scholarship Program, Dr. Barron and the president of Penn State University wanted to make sure that Penn State was accessible and affordable to those students who have the intellectual abilities to go to Penn State but may not have the, the uh, financial backing to do so. So the Economic Development Match Program is the most current program we're looking at. Um, the university has set aside dollars and we have uh, the, ac the opportunity to access those dollars in the community for projects, for projects that will create jobs in the community that are tied to the university mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the academic side, but also actual job creation. That tends to be the main criteria for that. So there's, uh, we, we still have uh, about $10 million uh, allotted to the Barron College for that economic development match program. And that's some of the money that we're using in the MWRI project we mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. in the Accelerate program. Those will create jobs in our community and the university is backing those. Yeah. and. Uh... There's a lot of opportunity. We've got a lot of ideas around how that could be matched. So, uh, you know, I think we're always open to the discussion. Yeah, one project that I know you've been really close to is the Innovation Commons project. Um, can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, Innovation Commons is, you know, it's a great story. If anyone uh, hasn't heard about this in the community, I, you know, you're always welcome to come to campus to see this. So, the idea behind Innovation Commons is we've created a space on campus which is a bit of a maker space entrepreneurial support space but the idea is we're here to help our students with their education to learn about technology say like 3d printing uh, rapid prototyping how to start your own business but really a very large component of this is helping uh, companies and entrepreneurs prototype products and start their businesses and this initiative, really, you know, you look at it, they take a long time to develop. Frankly, when I was in the engineering school and I was the director of the engineering school, there was this large maker movement across the entire, you know, country. And engineering schools were just struggling with how do we take advantage of that? Could you even create a maker space? Well, then the university created an internal grant competition and we applied and we created what we now call Innovation Commons. Uh, in fact, this was before the university came up with the Launchbox name, which mm -hmm. is, at a lot of the other campuses, they have now Launchboxes. So we were like the first Launchbox in the system. Mm -hmm. Barron, we like to be a place of first, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but So what is it we do there? We have students who are working there on a daily basis. I mean, I'm amazed almost any time you walk in, you see students there, they're working on their own projects. Uh, they are prototyping things, but, you know, like I say, one or two uh, companies at least a, per week walk in and say, I have an idea. I would like to uh, prototype this. I'd like to develop it. Can you help us do that? Is Go it ahead. always businesses or are there individuals from the community that can take in fact, advantage of this? It's probably more individuals. Uh, so, you know, one of the, here, here's a great story was the, I'll give you two examples. One, one is the, well, the fast framer. Uh, we had a, uh, an individual who worked at flipping houses and he needed a special device that he to hold two by fours because he was you know holding them and trying to put them in different positions and I think nail them in and the like and he had a prototype mm -hmm. and he brought it in and our students quickly determined that's just not manufacturable but within a few days they had worked with him and they had refined it and they came up with something that was highly manufacturable fast forward a year uh, he's 
selling that product in, you know, Ace Hardware. Mm -hmm. And he has now sold the rights to it. I mean, and he's off on working on a second project. So that's an individual. Mm -hmm. It's the person who has an idea. And there are a lot of them that, that are out there. That seems to be the majority. But there are companies who come to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, another great story is what's going on at Lake Erie Rubber Manufacturing. Mm -hmm. If you're not familiar, one of the engineers left GE a couple of years ago, said, I'm going to purchase this, this company. Uh, and they do a lot of contract manufacturing. He realized that, geez, I need to be able to, uh, to prototype new products and develop my own. So we helped him come up with a whole new line of dog toys that he's now selling under the brand name One Leg Up. So I could go on and on, but it's a great opportunity. And by the way, it is one of those matching gift opportunities. We have matching funds in the university. So you may want to talk about that, Kevin. Sure. I was going to say, that's my direct connection to the Innovation Commons Project. Uh, university Park, to incentivize this economic development activity, set aside $1 million for someone who might want to name our Innovation Commons uh, that can be done by one individual or one company, or it could be a combination thereof. But we do have a million-dollar match. And again, it gets back to that endowment model where we have a million dollars from the university, a million dollars from the donor that will be put into an endowment that's not touched. It grows with investments. We turn about 8% a year at the university on mm -hmm. average. And then 4.5% of that $2 million, or roughly $90,000, goes to operational costs every year in Innovation Commons. Yeah. So someone who's particularly entrepreneurial, who is philanthropic, who has vision for economic development in our community can put their name or a name on this project, and it can be the Ralph Ford Innovation Commons well, for the right dollar. <laughs> I think it is a great opportunity. All right, well, we're coming to the end. Anything you'd like to add, Kevin? No, I just think that uh, if you have a particular interest in uh, any area that the college uh, has, that I would encourage you to reach out to someone connected to the university to get involved. Uh, again, it's not always philanthropic dollars, but that's a great way to make a big impact at the university. There are all kinds of opportunities, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Well, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Again, my guest today was Kevin Moore, Director of Development and Alumni Relations. And you are listening to Barron Talks on WPSC Money Radio, 107.1 FM, AM 1450. Thanks for listening to Business Spotlight on Money Radio WPSE. Join us again on Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. for an encore presentation of the Business Spotlight with Dr. Ralph Ford, Chancellor at Penn State Barron.